We'll wrap up with a with a refreshing. <laughs> it's like what is it? Aperitif? A little um, citrus spray yeah, of television. Yeah, exactly. It'll be very nice. It's a, it'll, a nice glass of port wine and a chocolate chip cookie of with, television. The, with, some, with some television zest on it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast, theverge.com. A website that is relaunching its entire visual identity uh, next week on Tuesday, November 1. Yeah. If you're listening to this late, it's already happened. That's true. But you're probably not listening to this late because you are a news junkie. You love the news. And you love stylishly making your way through nightclubs. You might say that you love cutting through the night. Scissor vodka. A joke that I'm just not letting die. Anyway, this is Vergecast. Um, it's a huge week of news. It's like a throwback classic format Vergecast. We got Apple News. We got Microsoft News. There's only three people. Dieter Bone is here. Hello. We're we're in all different places all over the country. Yeah, Dieter and I are in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, if uh, uh, if you're hearing a, a mild echo, uh, that's our apologies. We're in our new office in San Francisco, which is not totally set up for this yet. Yeah. But Dieter and I just came from Cupertino. We're at Apple Town Hall. We saw the new MacBooks with the Touch Bar. I spent a long time staring at TV screens, figuring out what the hell Apple's doing in TV. But then. In New York, which you're not expecting, you'll never guess who's in New York. Vlad Savov is on the Verge cast in New York City. Hello. Vlad. There he is. There's my man. Vlad is in New York. Yeah. He's hanging out. He's going to be around for the, Ver- yeah. uh, for the Verge-, Verge relaunch on Tuesday. But Vlad covered deeply a whole bunch of Microsoft stuff that happened as well. Vlad, do you want to give us the rundown on Microsoft real quick? Microsoft stuff. Well, the big highlight is the Surface Studio, which is a 28-inch all-in-one desktop computer. It's, I guess, the future of PCs as Microsoft envisions it. And it costs... Three thousand dollars, and I'm buying the hell out of it. <laughs> you could not be more enthused about this thing. I if you love tried. it. Whatever, whoever invented the Surface Studio, Panos Pene, take a bow. Um, he can't bow. He's too pumped. <laughs> He's amped. He's amped. Uh, but like, like I'm saying, a classic, a classic week of of tech news. We got desktop PCs just coming at yeah. you. So I would actually say this is not what Microsoft thinks the future of PCs is. Like, not even a little. Well, maybe a little. But this is Microsoft trying to prove, as Nick Stat intelligently wrote, that PCs can be about more than spreadsheets and hardcore gaming. That yeah. they can also be for creative people. And so I don't but think... PCs Mi- have always been for creative people. Uh, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? I, I mean, yeah. But like in terms of how people think of them, people when people think of Windows... They don't think oh, of that kind of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's huge right yeah so uh, for me this this is like a, a real like Sony move this is like an aspirational product they don't care if they don't if they don't sell that many no. the fact that it exists and people can go into a Microsoft store and go holy shit this is awesome and then go buy a Surface Four yeah this is like a big win it's for a concept them. car yeah but I disagree with you <laughs> okay so do I so, actually and this is a bit oh, of oh but I'm so right and I'll tell you podcast. why the, the the thing doesn't have a graphics card. It, it's true. And it has a gajillion pixels. Yeah. So it literally can't do anything other than push those gajillion pixels. No, hold on. And hold on, so hold on. like it is maxed out, just like just like running the taskbar. All right, Vlad, take it away. Peaks the processor. Vlad, Vlad has ideas. Thank you, Neil. First of all, it does have a graphics card. It is a powerful <laughs> graphics card. The problem is, listen, this is my biggest uh, complaint and gripe about this PC as well. So I am with you on that one, but it's an... NVIDIA GeForce GTX 980M. It's yesteryear's top-of-the-line graphics card. So it exists, is good. It isn't as good as this year's. Usually with graphics cards, you know, between one year and the next, you don't notice because the major differences because there are many major differences. It's just incremental updates. This year, though, NVIDIA's Pascal architecture, the 10 or 1000 series of GPUs, are just so far ahead from the previous ones, you're just doing yourself a disservice by buying anything other than an NVIDIA GTX 1000 series. Why did they use last year's mobile graphics card? Like, when I say it doesn't have a graphics card, like, come on. It's a super expensive computer. Well, also, Vlad, yeah. we haven't had you on the show in a long time. Yeah, this is I, just, I just a remarkable way for you to come in. It's so good. <laughs> I, I'm so happy you're here. I, If you're, like, a new Vergecast listener, the way Vlad just says the words graphics card just fills my heart <laughs> with just sheer unadulterated joy now Vlad, get into it with me because the gpu issue is is real on the macbook pro too 
Because Apple with AMD and everything yes. I've heard is why the whole world should be on these NVIDIA 1000 series cards. But let's focus on Microsoft. Let's do the first bit of the show on the big Microsoft news. Then we'll go talk about the Mac. So, totally. Happy to. Um, well, first of all, let me mention I am, in fact, Bulgarian, even though my accent is totally British. So let's all just of get my accents of are vaguely either Jamaican or Indian. It's just a problem <laughs> I have. It's just who I am. <laughs> What? I'm an Indian man who wants to be on a beach. It makes sense. All right, so Continue. The thing with the GPU, uh, and Panos Panay, I think he touched on that during the Microsoft presentation. He said that they spent an inordinate amount of time integrating everything. And if you look at um, the Surface Studio, all of the PC is essentially in this one inch high or thereabouts uh, module at the bottom. I mean, it's the size of, I don't know, an external CD drive from back in the day, a little bit larger, a, bit of, a little bit wider. Um, so, you know, Microsoft deserves credit for integrating all of that stuff. You know, you can get up to 32 gigabytes, up to 32 gigabytes of RAM, you know, Core i5, Core i7 processors. But again, the processors are yesteryears. Yeah. This one is excusable because you can't have quad-core processors with this generation. So Intel is a bit slow on this front. Like if Intel could get its stuff together and deliver quad-core with this year's generation of processors, we'd do a lot less complaining. But, you know, Intel has been slow for years now. You know, they're, they're having issues there. But Microsoft said that they spent a lot of time integrating all of this. So if you take the 980M and you've been developing this for months and months and months, and then all of a sudden NVIDIA comes out with this much better graphics card, but you have to kind of undo the whole thing and then try and put it back together again, maybe they just didn't have the time to do it, which is disappointing, but you can kind of sympathize. My issue is, and I mentioned the price nice and early because I think that is the real big deal here. At $3,000, what you are selling to people, like Dita says, is some vision of the future, some vision of something beyond us, which we're bringing to you into the present. I think that's kind of, like he said, the aspirational part. It's the aspirational part of us as residents of the present wanting to be part of the future. And Apple does that a lot and does it successfully. We'll talk about how successfully with the new MacBook Pro but this is Microsoft getting into the same business and it's not really getting into the future of computing. Like if you look at the back of it, it has four USB ports, just standard USB. Apple just blew that away with four USB-C Thunderbolt 3 ports with gigabytes and gajillions of bandwidth and varieties of things that you can do with it, again, in the future. Microsoft just doing standard USB free jacks. I mean, this is, why, this is why I'm saying that this thing isn't meant to be bought. Right, like it's got it's got a bunch of yesterday's stuff in it, and uh, anybody who's able to converse in the graphics cards and processor numbers language that you just spoke is not the target market for this device. I agree, and is not like it. They Microsoft doesn't care. Like it has the regular USB A's on the back of it because like that's comprehensible to the people that actually want paying attention to this thing, which is like. You know, rich people, uh, rich artists, um, graphic designers, stuff that gets drawn, basically, like those people, they want them to go and buy this thing. And more importantly, they want them to want this thing and they want people to envision Windows as a platform for those kinds of people. Because right now, when you think Windows, what do you think? You think symphonies with spreadsheets yeah. which is a phrase that was said in their <laughs> keynote, which is amazing um and you know you think hardcore games and you think like you know the you big ass you know 300 dollar three inch thick 17 inch crappy screen laptop you have sitting under your coffee table right. right that's what windows is to most people and microsoft wants windows to have a cooler cachet yes and this thing is designed to give it that cachet even if they don't sell more than a few thousand of them so yeah. there is actually a theory i want to just layer on top of this uh and it relates to both microsoft and apple and actually this is this is the fun bit of recording the podcast in advance is i'll be able to write the full article and people can read it and then it can hear this um <laughs> So it's kind of like, flat yeah, I'm preempting <laughs> so, myself. I'm <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I think that the future of both PC and Mac is the thing that we saw this week. And I think the future is that they're just going to get more expensive. And this is yeah. because the old business, and this is Intel's business. Like if you ask Intel, what do you want to do with the PC industry? They're selling, they're saying sell more stuff, sell more numbers. But Microsoft and Apple seem to have gotten it into their heads that people are just not going to buy PCs at anywhere near the same numbers as previously. So it's it's 
basic economics. If you can't, you know, make 5% profit margin on millions and millions of units, you try and make 10%, 15% on a smaller number of units. So this is where I think they're, they're both heading. I mean, look at the other products that Microsoft announced. It announced a new Surface Book. That's 2000 whatever dollars. Microsoft's new MacBook Pros, each of them is starting Apple's at a higher price. It's, it's wild. I mean, the 15-inch new MacBook Pro is uh, $1,799. Yeah, and the uh, the config they want you to think about is twenty three ninety nine. Yeah, and that and you can take it to like forty two hundred dollars if you want to. So which is crazy. yeah, I mean, my theory in a nutshell is the future of these devices is going to essentially revert back to be more expensive. I saw this with cameras, to be honest with you. Like big DSLRs when it was starting off, digital SLR cameras were really expensive, uh, quite rarely used. And everybody was kind of using simple, cheap film cameras. Then they became ubiquitous. They became really cheap. Everybody had one. Then we got the mirrorless cameras that we have today. And now DSLRs are again retreating to just being uh, small volume, high price, high margin kind of devices. And the same thing is happening with the desktop PC and the laptop, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to kind of zoom out on Microsoft and the PC for a second. What Microsoft has done with its brand over the past, I don't know, year, year and a half, under Sasha Nadella is kind of incredible. Yeah. They're acting with an amount of confidence that I think, I suspect, came from letting go of the idea that they were going to be competitive in mobile. They just stopped. Yep. So Microsoft's two platforms now are its apps, which are everywhere, and they're doing a great job of being sort of horizontal with their apps. And then their innovation platform, their like big platform, is Windows and Windows hardware. And they're saying with Windows hardware, we're gonna we're gonna be competitive with Apple, right? At the high end of this premium yeah. market. I think and we should call it surface hardware, because I think that's the key word here. I mean that's fine, but like they're Microsoft is basically telling all of their OEMs with the surface, look, we're not gonna we're not gonna take we're not gonna cut your knees out from under you any everywhere, but we are going to play very, very hard at the top end of the market. Yeah. Right. And so you could do whatever you want. Uh, under us uh, and if you want to come at us at the top end go for it but we are not sorry and not afraid to release the stuff that costs a lot of money that serves as like halo devices for windows right and i, and I think that you know they updated the surface book it's a lot faster now great they made the hinge gap a little bit thinner yeah hopefully this one doesn't have the intel processor issues that plagued the first one yeah. um but then they also i think the surface studio which we should talk about in more detail than just complaining about its graphics card. The Surface Studio is 28-inch floating monitor. It actually reminds me a lot of the iMac G4, which had that like round base and the aluminum arm, and you could move the screen all around. Yeah, okay, I could see that. It's like that's the last articulating screen desktop PC that I can think of. Am I so? The, but the cool thing is like it's 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 got this insane hinge. There's like what 30 parts in both sides of the. I don't forget. What we need to parts. do is post a video with head-to-head run the head-to-head Microsoft's exploded parts come together <laughs> with dramatic music to form a product versus Apple's exploded, exploded parts, parts come together, together. dramatically. Yeah. Oh, Apple has a slight edge because it's Johnny Ive yeah. saying Johnny Ive things like the fan blades are aluminum. You know yeah. what? We, we should uh, we should get a good like British voice actor to like redub Microsoft's like voiceover for it. <laughs> or no, we should get a bad. We should get a bad British voice actor. We should get uh, uh, what's his name, guy who uh, who was uh, in charge of Brexit and like all all for Brexit. And <laughs> Nigel him. We should have Nigel too Farage. Too soon, Nita. Too soon. <laughs> we have like ninety Brits on set. We just have anybody. Do. Um, no, so okay. It's it's like the zero gravity thing, so you can push it down, not quite flat. And part of me wanted it to be flat all nah, the way, whatever. if you really. But and then you can like lean on the thing. Yeah, yeah. and. That's cool and drawn or whatever. And then they brought back the puck. Yeah. The puck is back and it's like the Bluetooth thing. You can like stick it on the screen and, and like turn, turn it. it. So in like 2000, what, two? The Griffin. one, the Griffin Powermate. Yeah. is like a real deep throwback. So like before The Verge existed, before, before any, before Engadget and Gizmodo existed, I would be in college and I'd be reading like O'Grady's Power Page. <laughs> macintouch.com and all the old school Mac sites like lit up the Griffin power mate is here and it was a huge stainless steel knob with like USB lights at the base you plugged it in over USB it had its own weird custom driver software for uh, at what the time was like OS 9 yeah 
and you could turn it and it would like change your volume. But then you could go into Final Cut Pro and it would like scroll the timeline. And it was just a huge knob. And everyone was like, this knob is the future of Mac peripherals. It was not. Yeah. But it was like a great three-year run. They still sell the thing. It's like 50 bucks. Yeah. And Microsoft, it's like the center of like the Surface Studio experience. Have you noticed that, and I know we keep saying we're going to finish up Microsoft and not get to Apple, but both Microsoft and Apple sold visions of the future today where you're going wicka, wicka, wicka <laughs> with two hands and neither one of them is touching a keyboard. With Microsoft, it's the dial and a pen. Yeah. And with Apple, it's like the biggest touchpad you've ever beheld in your entire life and the touch bar thing at the top. The trackpad on the 15-inch MacBook Pro is legitimately bigger than an iPhone 6S Plus. We like set one on top of it and it, there was like like 30% <laughs> like, more space around it. The whole thing, yeah. not just the screen of a 6S Plus. Yeah. The entire 6S, it's so comically huge. Uh, but no, like like keyboards aren't cool anymore, apparently. And what you're supposed to do is like have two hands doing stuff. Yeah. I, so my, my read on the Microsoft thing is Apple has really neglected its creative markets. Yep. Until today with this MacBook Pro. The Mac Pro has been, is ancient. It's like 550 days or something ridiculous. The iMac is fine, but it's not. There's not a ton of like iMac innovation in this world. The, I mean, there's the 5K iMac, which is pretty dope. It's a nice screen. But, you it's know, a year old, but yeah, okay. Fine. I mean, they, they, they're not like revving it. They're not like coming out with a wild new They're not changing the like, concept of what a computer is with it. Right. Right. And Microsoft is saying, what if we, what if we make like really awesome computers for you, Photoshop user? And now Photoshop is in Creative Cloud. Mm -hmm. So just sign up for Creative Cloud and you can download Photoshop for Windows. And it'll be just the same and all your data and everything will sync because you're a Creative Cloud client. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. I mean, I wonder, like unlimited budget Photoshop user, I think you probably, like hardcore your whole life is Photoshop. Yeah. You probably go with the studio instead of the MacBook Pro. Yeah. If you don't need portability. Yeah, but like, it's, a, it's not a straight comparison. I mean, one's a laptop. So. I think you go with the studio instead of the iMac. Yeah. You go with the studio oh, instead sure. of yeah. a Mac Pro, which yep. is like runs on Steam, right? Like <laughs> they didn't, they did Mac Pro. They didn't say a single thing about the Mac Pro. We should benchmark. Oh, we should. We are going to benchmark these new MacBook Pros well, against different. the Mac Pro. I mean, the Mac Pro is like 16 processor. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, they're, 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 they're different I kinds know. of things. I know, but. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, I just think I think what Microsoft is doing with PCs because it's they're constrained. They can't do anything in mobile, and even if yeah. they do something cool in mobile, it doesn't matter because they lost. So now they're going to go back to where they are still dominant. I mean, they still sell more PCs than anybody, yeah. or my, Windows still more PCs than anybody. And they're going to tr try to push that platform forward. I think it's really neat. Yeah, I actually have unreasonably high hopes for the Surface Five, the next tablet, because like. They, they threw a whole bunch of specs and some some minor redesigns at the Surface Book. At the Surface, like, I expected them to like just throw a new processor and say, hey, here's Vibe, it's a new processor and whatever. But they didn't, and they're going to do something next year. And that makes me think that like there's going to be a bigger change coming. And I still, still, five years since the original Surface and Surface RT, five years already, four years, yeah, still believe that, like, they can get it. They can nail that combo package somehow. Nobody's done it. Like Lenovo tried with the yoga book and then <laughs> I don't think the iPad Pro is there. I don't think the Surface is there, but like I want to believe that somewhere deep down Panos Panay, the reason he's so pumped and so excited is he knows yeah. that they've got it and they just need to finish it. You know what the best thing for a plane is? It's not a Surface. It's a 12-inch MacBook. Yeah. The guy in the plane on the flight to San Francisco was using an iPad with a Bluetooth keyboard, and he saw me use your old 12-inch mm -hmm. MacBook, and he's like, what is that? This is stupid. I want that instead. <laughs> <laughs> Vlad, anything else from Microsoft we can talk about? It's really the Surface Studio, which I am just buying the hell out of. This week is so expensive. Yeah. Vlad, do you care about the stuff they did to Windows? The little... The creator edition? Creator edition, little heads in the taskbar, any of that stuff? I mean, that is interesting. Uh, the idea of Windows people being a method for you to have your people, your nearest contacts in your taskbar and being able to share files with them, that's intriguing, but the thing with that sort of service is it needs to be almost friction-free when you're first setting it up. So maybe if it, like, picks up uh, contacts from your contacts book and just immediately throws them in there, like family closest friends whatever and then you get into it like once you develop a habit i can see that being really useful like if you're a regular windows user and you just have 
it's essentially kind of like Facebook chat heads in your taskbar. Yeah. Uh, and you can just throw messages in there and do stuff. I mean, you, you make d- emoji pop up on their little dancing emoji pop up on their desktop uh, against their will. I'm pretty sure I'm too old for that. But <laughs> but the point is, that's a sort of feature because it's so neatly, entirely integrated without you know getting in your face too much that you can just wind up using without even realizing it. Yeah. So that has potential. Right. That, but I'll just, I'll just throw in one last thought on Surface Studio, and that is I don't think it's an iMac competitor. It, in, and this is purely on account of price. You know, when you say it's for professionals, it's for really wealthy professionals. It's for like... People who are, I don't know, like, it's so much of an aspirational item that I don't even see the actual marketplace for it. Whereas with the iMac, I think one part that maybe Microsoft is missing or is just kind of ignoring is the fact that people buy the iMac sometimes even just to make their office or hotel reception look more stylish. You know, it's just prettier than having an old laptop hanging out there. And that's not a market that Microsoft is really addressing. Yeah, but I don't think, I mean, Hotel Lobby IMAX is, when I go to hotels, I'm like, wow, your iMac is 400 years old. And then you look at what they're doing on it. It's like they've run the same 400-year lap. Yeah. And it's fine. Like, I think I think Microsoft is going after the people who make enough money using Photoshop or doing illustration or, I don't know, circling things in documents all day long to justify that computer. I mean, like, if having that product makes you more efficient then it's worth it and you can justify it. I mean, that's always the justification for... So, so it's for, it's for people, computer. you just said it's for people who do a lot of circling stuff on documents. Well, I, I, no, they, like, I, they're starting to make the case that, that the pen is for more than circling stuff. Yes, they're, yes, they're but, but this is the point. You, you're trying to make the case with a $3,000 product. The reason why I really like the Lenovo Yoga Book is because it said, here's a new way to use your tablet with this stylus and with this whole different application, different mode. But then, well... It's only like $500, $550. You can buy it and start experimenting. Whereas Microsoft yeah, is saying... I bought it and I started experimenting and then I returned it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got to say, Yogabook also hampered by a slow Intel processor. Yeah. It's like a real theme of the next generation of hardware. Yeah, uh-huh. if, if, if there is a theme to this podcast is that NVIDIA is awesome. It didn't get enough love from Apple and Microsoft and Intel sucks, but it's a monopoly and therefore we're stuck with it. What if AMD starts making processors again? Oh, my God. Gigantic nuclear hot processors. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read an ad, then we're going to talk about Apple. You ready? Yeah. yeah. Masterclass. They're the ones who sponsored this show. Masterclass makes the world's greatest courses by bringing the world's greatest instructors. They're dedicated to find the best in the world, the visionaries, rule breakers, leaders, and champions, turning their wisdom into a legacy that the entire world can share. To do that, they brought together a team of world-class educators, engineers, and artists. They're crafting innovative online courses that connect instructors to students and students to each other in a community of dedicated learners. Current instructors include Aaron Sorkin, Kevin Spacey, Dustin Hoffman, Serena Williams, Werner Herzog, Usher. Always got to give that shout-out to Usher. James Patterson, Christina Aguilera, and Annie Leibovitz. Let's talk for a second, just like Aaron Sorkin's class. Aaron Sorkin is teaching a masterclass on screenwriting. Aaron Sorkin's masterclass contains 35 lessons, over six hours of video, interactive assignments. You can learn about the craft of screenwriting. You can write your own screenplays. Aaron covers the rules of storytelling, dialogue, character development, and what makes a script actually sell. Aaron will analyze a scene from the West Wing. He leads a group of students in rewriting the opening scene of episode 501 of the West Wing, which... I don't know if you know. Do you, do you have to take the masterclass to call him Aaron? Because I would call him Mr. Sorkin. I actually call him Monsieur Sorkin. Okay. It's very weird when yeah. I send in my interactive. That's why he never grades him and sends him back. He's just creeped <laughs> out. Uh, anyway, when you purchase the masterclass, you own it. You get lifetime access to all the course content, plus access to the community events and student groups where you can collaborate and share your ideas with classmates. Classes are on demand, so you can take it whenever you want. You're on pace. And you can rewatch as many times as you like on any device for life. So for an exclusive clip of Aaron Sorkin discussing how he writes dialogue, go to masterclass.com slash The Verge. That's masterclass.com slash The Verge. All right. Let's talk about Apple. <clears throat> you want to? You, so here's the problem with talking about Apple. Yeah. There's two things to talk about. We could both spend, like Vlad and I, and Neil, I too, I suppose, could, could spend a good hour talking about these laptops. There's also television and Neela is on this show, and <laughs> against all reason or interest, we could spend four hours talking about just tiny, all day. minor, random TV interface changes. All day. All day. <sighs> Let's start with the laptop. Okay. And then, I'll, and then, then we'll, we'll, 
Well, I already told you what I think of the TV, but we'll get to that later. Two things stuck out, aside from the products of the Apple Plant. One, very chill vibe. Yeah, subdued even. S- yeah, super whatever, not a big deal. From the journalists in attendance, from the media partners, from Apple itself, just very relaxed. Yep. Not, uh, it's not that Apple doesn't always have sort of relaxed vibes, but there's usually like... There's like a buzz. There's, there's like an buzz. energy. There's celebration in yeah. the air. This time it was just... It wasn't like it was dour. Like it wasn't like yeah. bummed. It was just like, I, I can't tell if they were relaxed because they were so confident and happy with what they made or if they're just like, yeah, we made some stuff. It's good. Yeah, here it is again. Yeah. Um, second, they spent more time talking about their own history today than I have ever encountered from Apple ever before. They talked about how 25 years ago, the first PowerBook 170 came out. Uh, then they did their whole introduction. Then Phil Schiller came out and said, I want to talk about the PowerBook 170 again. Put it back to back with the new MacBook Pro. Talked about how it was like 6.8 times, 6.8 million times faster than that computer. Yeah. They ran a video showing all of the old Macs uh, laptops that they've ever made, including like the iBook and the PowerBook 500. They just spent a lot of time in their own history being like, we invented and have driven forward the laptop. Well, you know what? That here's is the next one. What's that? This week is the 25th anniversary of the first laptop. Yeah. But I and that, you made uh, this point on the but, live blog, but, but and I, I'm just going to straight but, away steal it from you and say, yeah. this for us should be a preview of what Apple has planning for the next iPhone. Because the next iPhone, 10th anniversary iPhone, and if what we've seen from this debut today with the laptop and all of this history and backtracking from Apple tells us, Apple cares about anniversaries. Yeah. You know, in some way. if you do something and it turns out pretty good, then you should go do something else wonderful, not dwell on it for too long. Just figure out what's next. That's Literally, a quote it, yeah. by Steve Jobs that we had to stare at for about 45 minutes while we were waiting in line to get into this event to watch the history. And like, I know this is a cheap shot and it was the 25th anniversary and it's been a really long time since Apple sort of touted its own history. Uh, so like I actually am not offended by them. I thought it was really fun. That. I thought it was fun and cool. Yeah, it was neat. Um, but like they, they definitely set themselves up for yeah. this joke that well, we're making. You know, right now. the other thing is Tim. Yeah, Cook- no, I, I thought it was great. Like I honestly thought it was really like they made a point to us when we were uh, speaking with the executives afterward that the form factor they introduced, the PowerBook 170, which was revolutionary at the time with the palm rest and the track ball at the time, and now just a comically large touchpad is still the dominant form of, of laptops. And like they made that happen. They put Wi-Fi in it. Th- like they did all of these things first, take a victory at 25 years, take a victory lap. Yeah. But then the vibe around the actual product, the combination of that and the sort of subdued, not like, again, it wasn't sad. It was just very chill. It was like, here's another Mac. We know you wanted one. We made one. We took out some oh, buttons let's and talk put about it in a the damn laptop. Forget the atmosphere. I don't care about the atmosphere. <laughs> I wasn't there. It, that, like you're not immersing me in excitement here, Neil. So let's just talk about this. The was, I'm trying to set the same mood on this show that Apple's. Okay, you yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this mood is depression. This is like listening to Radiohead. Forget their event. Honestly, their event for me, for me, their event was just looking at Tim Cook, who spent much longer on stage than he usually does. And I think he was still stuck in the earnings call mode that he was in like two days ago. He's just yeah. reciting numbers and stats. And it's like, no, this, like we celebrated Apple when Apple said, you know what? We've got too much to tell you today. We're not going to talk about stats. Yeah, Remember yeah. when Apple did that? And we're like, yeah, go for Wait, it. Now who's about being depressing? You're being depressed. Okay, let's talk about the product. So I'm doing to you what you just did to me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, new MacBook Pro. Yeah. Two sizes, 13, 15. Yeah. There's a baby 13 that has standard keyboard function keys, yep. two Thunderbolt 3 ports. And a headphone jack. And a headphone jack. But I actually think the, the confusion between whether they're Thunderbolt 3 ports or USB-C ports is real. Because Apple's calling them Thunderbolt 3 ports, yep. even though the connector is USB-C. Correct. Yes. And it, it also supports USB. Yeah. They, yeah. So it's Thunderbolt they? over USB-C. Or is it USB-C over Thunderbolt? Who knows? <laughs> Very confusing. Because Apple's calling them Thunderbolt 3 ports. That's the baby. Yep. It's thirteen ninety nine, I believe. Yeah. And like there's a whole there's a whole thing that we can get into later if we want to about like Apple's product lineup and like the step up yep. strategy. No, this so one is fourteen ninety nine, I'm pretty sure. The little yeah. Yeah, you said thirteen. I think it's fourteen. I think yeah. it's fourteen hundred bucks. These things are ridiculously expensive. Anyhow, uh, then there's the middle one, the 13-inch, with either an i5 or an i7. It's got 
in the in the standard configs, it's got Intel Iris graphics, so integrated graphics, uh, and it's got the touch bar. And the touch bar, we sh we're going to talk about in depth. And then there's the 15 inch with the quad core i7 discrete AMD or uh, discrete AMD graphics. I said yep. graphics, graphics, and also the touch bar. And that one is ridiculously expensive at 2399 for it's like what I think Apple thinks it's the most common configuration. The touch bar is super interesting. Mm -hmm. The keyboard's super interesting. The keyboard, what they said to us is it's the second generation of the 12 inch MacBook keyboard, which has very shallow travel. Yep. And they have engineered it to feel as though it has more travel. Yes. I've been thinking about this. Although it may not. I don't think it has more travel. I actually think it might have a little, but I think what they did is they re-engineered the the you know the the butterfly mechanism and the the pad that actually takes it to give you more resistance throughout the entire key press instead of just like it like shoots down and you feel the click at the bottom. And so as you push on the key, it feels like it's deeper because it's giving you a slightly more resistance throughout the entire motion of the key press. And therefore, I think it feels much closer to what most people traditionally expect from a keyboard. But look, I love the keyboard on the, the MacBook that is, you know, shallow that everybody else hates. So like, don't take my opinion as like, you're going to like this keyboard. Yeah, because take mine. You can't trust me. <laughs> take my opinion, which is that you're not going to like this keyboard. At least not uh, at first. Like, know. this is not a keyboard anybody picks up and says, oh, this is familiar. This is natural. This is sensible. Let's start bashing away at it. When you say Dita, the entire travel of the key, we're talking about like 1.5 millimeters at most. There is no it, travel. It definitely feels like more travel than the 12-inch MacBook. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like that's not really a standard keyboard. to judge it by. Most people don't have a MacBook. Most people have never spent any time adapting to one. And for myself, I come from a MacBook Air, which, you know, it still has this flat chiclet keyboard. It must have, I don't know, a dozen times, 20 times more travel than uh, these new keyboards. And I think... Again, speaking for myself, I'm going to need a lot of adaptation before I'm able to say, okay, I'm comfortable with this new keyboard. Because the travel is I too disagree. shallow for most people. I disagree. I, I think the 12-inch MacBook is definitely like, it's it might as well not have keys. It might as well just be a flat piece of glass sometimes. But the, you'll, I, I think that coming from the air to this, I think I think it's fine. I, you're going to like it. But it doesn't matter because who gives a shit about keys? <laughs> like you don't have any other choice. Like, yeah. like there are no other Apple laptops coming for a while. And like, <laughs> wait three the more years. Air is never getting any significant updates ever again, except unless they decide to do it. Who knows? It's like you can't bet on Air updates. Yeah. You if you need a powerful Mac laptop, this is it. So like suck it up. You're going to learn to love the keyboard because like, that's all that there is for you now. And I know you're going to learn to love it. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about the touch bar. All anybody cares. The only people, wait, wait, people wait, listening so to the show, 45 we, minutes in, we're going to talk about the touch, touch bar. bar. We got to talk about the specs of these things too. I really want to hear touch what Vlad bar. thinks of... Okay, fine. Touch bar. Fine. Let's go into the touch bar. Fine. Here's my firm belief about the touch bar, which was somewhat validated in our conversations with Apple today. They don't want to make a touchscreen Mac. I think they've tried to make them. I think they've tested them, prototyped them. They hate them, but they know that a whole generation of consumers has come up expecting touch interactions for things that are great, like uh, selecting emoji. I don't like selecting emoji on a Mac right now or any computer that doesn't have a touchscreen sucks. Yep. And they know they need to bring some of those experiences to the Mac. So instead of putting a touchscreen on the display, they've built a new touch area that is very reminiscent in terms of its interaction patterns to iOS stuff, to the Apple Watch, and there's a bunch of Apple neat Apple Watch connections. They, they're pulling apart the code on Twitter today. It's basically a tiny Apple Watch that yeah. runs that whole thing. Yeah. Um, that's super neat. Um, they needed to do Touch ID because they want to get away from passwords. They want Apple Pay and the web to work. So they built basically a tiny touch computer under the screen because they don't want to put a touch screen on the display, which is bold. Like the simple answer is to put a fingerprint reader somewhere on the on the base and put a touchscreen on the display and like just move on. Yeah. But Apple is just philosophically, ideologically opposed to building a touchscreen Mac. And what they've done instead is build this thing. But there is a conflict that arises here. And I, I noticed this when I was using the touch bar today, uh, when I was checking it out. You, you start using it and the touch bar very closely relates to the app you have above. So Apple has obviously customized all of its own apps. 
so in GarageBand, you have specific uh, customizations, alterations that you can apply to a particular track. Uh, if you're in photos, you can scroll. Oh, this is, I mean, I'm sure you guys have tried this. It's so addictive and beautiful to just be scrolling through the photos uh, with the touch bar, yeah. just doing that with your finger with nice uh, sliding gesture. But because there's this tight integration between the touch bar and the screen above it, my instinct is to go, okay, I'm touching a screen here and then I'm just going to reach at the yep, screen. Yes, I did it. Oh I my God, I did times. it like four times. Yeah, a million, like, yeah. It's, I was playing with the DJ, the, the algorithm yep. DJ app. And I was like, I'm doing this. Why am I doing this here instead of up here on the big Yeah, screen? so my, my, my thinking on this is like, it'll, it'll probably go away for the most part after you use it. But that they decided to not just like make this thing a bunch of customizable buttons, but they gave it like a little bit of dynamism, a little bit of interactivity. So you can like slide your finger on stuff, right? And just giving it that little bit of dynamism and interactivity directly on the thing means that your brain goes into, oh, I'm interacting with a touch screen now. And then you immediately go to directly interact with a thing on a touch screen because yeah. that's what you do with, with, you directly interact with the software. Um, whereas on a laptop, you don't. And so that thing literally sitting, it sits in between like the old and the new. You've got the old model of interaction on the bottom, and then there's the new one, and it makes you want to just touch the screen. And yeah. I don't know if like, I don't know if it's ever going to go away for me, to be honest, because like that's how I use a phone. And now I've got a little tiny, you know, phone like thing on the yeah. laptop. Um, I'm not saying it's bad. Like I'm, I'm very excited for this touch bar. I'm very excited for like, seeing what can be done on it. I'm mostly very excited for people to um, hack the T1 so that I can put custom crap in the system zones that I'm not supposed to. Uh, we'll see if they allow that or if it is possible. But um, I think it's wide open. I think no, I, no. So, so here's the deal. The, the touch bar has like some system areas. That's where yeah. the Siri button is, the volume button. You can like expand it out to get all your other standard function controls. And that is locked down. Uh, well, you and can customize else it, but is directly, with only Apple options so far. Right. Everything else is directly tied to the active app that's running. So you can't like, you can't like buy, you know how you can get like a menu bar utility yeah. and that's just a thing that sits in your menu bar that does stuff. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with a touch bar. Huh. It, uh, all it does is customize itself based on what the app that's currently running tells it what to do. And the question that I have that I don't know the answer to is, we know that this thing is basically a tiny little Apple Watch, I guess. We know that it has a secure element because that's where the Touch ID comes from. So in order to like, if anybody wants to do like menu bar style utilities on it, you might have to jailbreak the thing. That'd be incredible. <laughs> It'd be insane. Um, but who knows? Anyway, uh, Vlad, you're exactly right. I did it definitely four times today where like knowing, having thought less than 30 seconds ago, I shouldn't touch the screen. I know that this isn't a touch screen. Just immediately went up to touch. It wasn't worse than the Photos app. But I, I, was I like, want oh, us to think about... Tool. I want us to think about for a moment how un-Apple-like this is. Because typically the Apple way has been you pick up the device and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. And then, oh, this follows that. That makes sense. Intuitive. Yup, yup, yup. And we've had that with iOS 10. You know, intuitiveness has kind of gone away from iOS 10. It took me such a long time with the iPhone 7 to figure out, uh, like somebody literally needed to tell me, you force touch notifications in order to do something useful with them. Yeah. Um, and Apple is doing this again, where it's doing things and all three of us, and I mean, I can't think of a more techier group of, you know, international humans <laughs> than us right we spend all of That's our, our time mail clothing store techie international humans we spend all That's of cool. our time with phones and laptops and we're supposed to be able to relate to both touchscreens and physical controls in a fast and natural manner and then all three of us fell into this uh trap of intuitiveness i guess so th this is peculiar but one other thing i was going to mention and I think it's important. We had this issue with Force Touch where, uh, or 3D Touch on the iPhone where Apple introduced it, Apple integrated it into its own apps and then we sat and waited for third-party developers to do something useful with it and we're still waiting. I think the reason that Force Touch, by the way, what a terrible name. Yep. Uh, not, way, in the, not in the touch bar, by the way. Is it touch bar, right? It's the touch bar. Right, okay. So it's the trackpads are Force Touch. Yep. The iPhone is 3D Touch. Yep. Explain that to me. No, Anyhow. I, I refuse to explain that to you. Um, but 
here's why I think, and they showed a ton of developers already using it. I think it is probably somewhat trivial for developers to add it. My great fear was that Apple would restrict it to, to apps that were in the Mac App Store. They didn't do that. It's wide open. And not for nothing, it's staring at every MacBook Pro owner in the face. Right. Right. So I think with 3D Touch, it was hidden. It didn't make any sense. There was no natural sort of UI language for it. What is it good for? Who gives a shit? By the way, all these apps are free and it doesn't matter. If you're Adobe and you're making Photoshop and you can make the life of a MacBook Pro owner that much better yep. using the OLED screen that is literally in front of their face, you're probably just going to do it. And, and they're, they're it's going to be it. it's going to be bought first by serious hardcore users and professionals who are the kind of people who are going to like send emails and agitate in forums to like make that bar yeah. more useful. And so and, and they showed apps. They showed Photoshop, they showed Office, um they showed algorithms dj i mean uh i'm switching to i i have an acorn man for my photo app uh if acorn doesn't immediately add the tools that i saw on pixelmator today i'm switching to pixelmator yeah. like that is a successful hardware feature it's I, like, I do love the if, fact if that microsoft it, is yeah. one of the fanboy developers now for apple and is like first out of the gate we've got word integration excel integration we're ready yeah i mean what are you gonna do and there's headphone jack. Let's put that there. Yeah. Oh, actually, let's do a little run through the specs because, to me, once you digest the big highlight, there are a couple of things that stand out. Firstly, on the positive side, the display is once again improved. Okay, last year's display, uh, I reviewed the Spring 2015 MacBook Pro, and that display basically buried my MacBook Air. It was like I am living in a caveman past. I need to upgrade to a MacBook Pro. Retina MacBook Pro. <laughs> uh, this one. A wider color gamut matches the iPhone 7 now. Uh, higher contrast ratio. I mean, it's super high resolution. There is literally no limit to the viewing angles. Uh, you know, you, you see these things perched up and they do actually look like the future. You know, they, when they just stood up next to each other, these laptops, they just, they look amazing. They look terrific, okay? So the display, Apple didn't market it enough, in my opinion, because it once again is just so brilliant. Like, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, but besides that, you know, on the processor side, same complaint as with Microsoft. These are Intel 6th gen processors. And this time, unlike Microsoft, right, Microsoft's excuse is there are no quad-core latest generation Intel processors. So you have to use the older generation. So Apple can use the same excuse on the 15-inch MacBook Pro, but not on the 13-inch. Because other companies, Dell included, have already done the Kaby Lake, this latest generation of Intel processors, dual-core, in their competing devices. Uh, so my only reasoning for this is that Apple was like, we can't have our lower tier cheaper device with a later generation of Intel CPU than our top tier quad core device, uh, which to me still kind of sucks because I want the perfect laptop and to me the perfect laptop is going to be 13 inches. But this is never going to be my perfect laptop because it doesn't have an SD card slot. Yeah. And the, if there is one thing... The SD card slot is like... Yeah. If there's one thing that is as universal as a headphone jack right now in technology, the next thing after the headphone jack, maybe is a USB port, but you know, that's dying away, being replaced by USB-C, which everybody agrees is a good idea. But the next thing after them is the SD card. Every single camera manufacturer is standardizing around the SD card as the medium of storage, the format of storage. And why if Apple they had to gone break with, compatibility um, with it, micro SD? If they had gone with micro SD, which is what Microsoft keeps trying to make happen on devices, that might have been interesting actually. And maybe we'd like just all switch to those tiny little pinky nails or like use you know SD adapters with micro SD. Like that could have been interesting because like Microsoft is doing it, and if Apple does it too, then that'll be the thing that happens. Um, I fundamentally believe that the the dongle life that a bunch of people are going to have to live with with this thing is better than uh, you think it's going to be because it's a laptop. You put it in a bag. Your bag has pockets. Put some dongles in the pockets. Life goes on. Uh, I'm much more annoyed with them on phones than I am with laptops. Okay, but, uh, but, but not having an SD slot for the target market for this thing, which is people who want to step up from the air and then, you know, a lot, a lot of people who, like, need to use SD cards. It's just a killer. It's just, like, uh, no, it really is. And I will tell you, photographers are up in arms about this. And they're actually even 
Like, you would think I would be the guy who freaks out about specs. And I'm kind of bummed that it's not the latest Intel processor, but I can live with that. And I'm kind of bummed that it's integrated graphics, but again, I can live with that because I don't want to play games and integrated into graphics can be just fine for regular use. So we can kind of look past those things. This isn't going to be a VR platform after all. So just get over them, right? But then <laughs> yeah. photographers, they want more memory. They want more performance. And that's understandable. And Apple isn't giving it to them. Like some people have been saying, I'm happy to spend even more on a laptop if it's a real workhorse. And what Apple is doing is it's pulling the MacBook Pro so close to the MacBook that it's kind of leaving those people who want just an absolute beast of a machine and they don't want it to be a Windows PC. They're used to Mac. They like the Mac and its design and its software, utilities and everything else. They're used to that as their workflow. A lot of photographers are like that because Apple has been pushing amazing displays for the longest time and photographers are like, well, Mac gives me a better way to process my photos. That's that's my workflow. And now those people are kind of left in a lurch, you know, and like you said, Dieter, while you were laughing maniacally, <laughs> there is no next option, right? Apple just refreshed yeah. the MacBook Pro. Now it's like months and years until you get the next update, the next option. So now it's like, I am actually starting to think. Surface Book, yeah. I am starting to think, what are the Microsoft alternatives now? Because I need more performance and I am not so going to be. Gonna do? You're going to get a Surface Book, you're going to I am not going to be the guy and... with a dongle for his SD card when you're trying to rush and get photos off your camera and upload them somewhere. It's just not going to happen. A dongle is not going to improve my workflow. It's going to make it worse. And the other problem, right? If camera companies had been able to do wireless transfer photos off the cameras by now, this would not be an issue, right? If we could do wireless transfers off cameras, we wouldn't be pissing and moaning about it so much. But the fact is that they all absolutely stink. Their software stinks. They are the worst. You can't get They're your awful. photos off wirelessly. You have to take the SD card out. And when you take Although it the- out... It needs to Nikon have a slot in a laptop. The new the new Nikon uh, wireless transfer is better, but it is pretty slow. Just get a dongle, Vlad. Yeah, I should get a dongle, it, or I should get a buy faster an expensive reader. new camera with actually good wireless transfer, or maybe a USB C camera. That could be the next move, right? Yeah. Who knows? I'm less. I'm with Dieter. I think I would rather have four ports on my computer that can do anything, literally anything, from pow- charge and power the thing to plug-in adapters than 900 sort of single-purpose ports. Well, I mean, that, that but, is the Apple philosophy, and I would say that's exactly what's happening with the touch bar, isn't it? Because we had, uh, how many keys are they? 15, 20 keys that had one or two specific functions, and they're now re- replaced by the universality of the touch bar. So at least philosophically, that's consistent for Apple. Yeah. Okay, I got to read one more ad. Come yeah. to go graphic stock. They're great. Graphicsocks is a subscription-based stock media company. It gives you unlimited access to over 300,000 premium photos, illustrations, vectors, and design elements that everyone can afford. You get great value with an unlimited download model. It has the largest unlimited download library of graphics, photos, vectors, and images available to the creative community. And most websites, they charge you per download, which costs as much as $30 per image, which adds up quickly. But Graphicsocks, you get unlimited downloads with your membership for an annual rate. There's no credits, there's down limits, there's no hidden charges, just you partying with content. It's the same content that you would find in the more expensive stock sites at a cheaper price. They're always adding new content to the library so it stays fresh. And during a seven-day free trial, you can download 140 pieces of content. And it's only $99 for an annual subscription after that, which is less than $10 a month. Do the math on your slightly underpowered MacBook Pro. Everything is 100% royalty-free, even if subscription is canceled. You get unrestricted usage rights for personal and commercial projects. You get to keep what you download and maintain your usage rights forever. So, exclusive, Forgecast listeners, sign Exclusive. Exclusive. Sign up for seven-day free trial today, graphicstock.com slash vergecast. That's graphicstock.com slash vergecast. So, do you have a final MacBook Pro thought before I take this thing over with television? Uh, let, let me enumerate the number of dongles that I'm going to need. <laughs> Ethernet, okay? Sometimes Wi-Fi sucks at events, so I'm going to need an Ethernet dongle. Then I'm going to need a specific brand new cable which Apple bundles with none of its devices to connect an iPhone to a MacBook, second cable. Then I'm going to need a dongle for my SD card, third one. And I'm sure there's something else that I'm missing. Wait, I have an adapter in my bag. You got to get the the multi-adapter, the Hutu. Yeah, I got a a, a Minix. I don't even know what company Minix is. I found it on Amazon. 
I got an adapter that's got two USB 3 ports, an SD card reader, some other weird card reader, Ethernet jack, yeah. charge the thing. Anchor's got to make one of these things with a battery built into if it. Anchor made one. Uh, people have been promising to make one with batteries in them, and they've all kickstarted and failed. I have tried uh, all of these USB-C adapters. They're all great until you need them to reliably read an SD card, and then they shit the bed. <laughs> of course. Oh, well, that's the perfect <laughs> spot for it, isn't it? Um, and, <laughs> and you know, the one that I forgot, the dongle that I forgot, is the USB to USB-C. I, I'm just thinking about the gazillions of USB sticks that I have at home, which would just be if, like, forget it. Trash. If now. you ever write, like, a super sad kind of, like, pop-lit book memoir thing, Vlad, it should be called The Dongle I Forgot. The Vlad Savov story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just stories of being at events and not having the right adapter. <laughs> well, it's, all, it's, the, it's all like the, Craigslist misconnections, but for the things dongle you want to plug. Taken. The dongle not taken. You're like, I was there. I could have plugged an Ethernet cable into my laptop, but I had once again forgotten it. Call me if you see me to you, cable list in Seattle. Like the whole thing. Yeah. Misconnections, but for dongles. This is a Cable billion dollar idea. I like that. This is like I'm telling you. This is the next. This is the next Twilight. It's the next. Uh, it's the next Fifty Shades. It's Fifty Shades, but for dongles. No, <laughs> not no. We are we are super Wait, moving on from that joke. We are not expanding right? on that joke. Nope. We are nope, leaving it alone. It's dead. It is gone. It hit the ceiling, and then we looked to see if we should break through the ceiling. And, and said, as a group, we said no. So let, let, me, let me. Okay. One final point. One final point. I just want to make this one serious. Is it about dongles? It's not about dongles. No. It's about keyboards. Okay. Oh this is very God. serious. Very serious. It's very serious. I, right. I, ju I just want to talk about this. The, the whole keyboard travel and all of that stuff. There is actually a company that has really done a terrific keyboard this year and it deserves some acknowledgement. Is it Razer? It's Razer with the Razer Blade I think Pro. it's great. That's the best laptop yeah. keyboard I've yet experienced. It's a mechanical keyboard, but it's low profile and just typing away on that thing is a joy. Now, that laptop costs 4000 something dollars. So, you know, it's bonkers, but it also they also have that keyboard as an iPad Pro accessory, the 12.5-inch uh, or 12.9-inch iPad Pro, uh, and that's 100 something dollars And you have to, you being our listener, have to try that keyboard out. This is why, this is my standard, basically. When I have something like that integrated into a laptop somewhere and then Apple gives me a travelless, you know, chiclet mess, like with the new MacBook Pro, I have to hold it to the highest standard possible because that's what Apple expects. That's what Apple yeah. talks yeah. about. All right, yeah. we got to talk about TV. Uh, I'm, we're I'm we're way saying, over time here. Hang on. I just, I'm just going to say one last thing. Looking at this MacBook Pro makes me really wish that the Yoga 910 was just like 10% better and I would probably switch. I'm telling you. This is the year. This is the year when it all comes crashing down. Lock in fatigue. I mean, the Yoga High 910 prices. is really nice. Yes. The only thing, it, if, it, if the Yoga 910 had an SD card slot, I would switch, but it's got Thunderbolt three, it's got the hinge, it's got a relatively recent pro processor, it's got a Core i seven, and it's got you know the tablet hingey thing. Yeah, like which you totally need. Well, it's like and which, it's pretty. Which, what gimmick do you want? Do you want a flippy screen? Do you want a flippy touch screen? Or do you want yeah. a touch bar? Who knows? Okay, anyway. television. Let me just do this real fast. Yeah, Apple put out a TV app today. It's called TV. It's very confusing. <laughs> so it's a TV app on the Apple TV. TV app on the Apple TV called how do you, TV. How do you launch There's it? There's another app on the Apple TV called TV Shows. Right. It's very confusing. Okay. Apple appears to be not able to get the deals at once. So they announced single sign-on for cable authentication at WWDC. Apple not it's getting many the deals at once, by the way. They're the only company that can't. Everybody I, else is like launching TV services. Yeah. But I, I think their thing is, like, no one's going to buy those. Like, yeah. which is true. I think that there's a bunch of failed TV services out there. It doesn't matter. What they want is for you to have, like, a great experience watching TV. But they're still not getting the deals. Right. Um, so they announced a single sign-on. No one's using it yet. It's in the code of the of Apple TV right now. They, they just rolled out in the last update, but no one's yep. using it yet. Most cable, serv most cable companies, I think, aside from DirecTV, are, like, pretty hesitant about it. Um, but they made it this new app that if you download – if you know, you've got a bunch of video service apps on your Apple TV, like Watch ESPN or um, FX Now or um, HBO Go or HBO Now. All the, you know, all the video streaming apps. Um, Almost if, all the video streaming. Oh, apps. Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> um, they're gonna. You push the button 
on the Siri remote for the Apple TV. The TV button. The, the button with which a picture of a TV. currently on. takes you home, but now is going to take you to Apple's TV app. Yep. Which is not home. Not home. But should have been in the first place. It very much seems like what they released as an app is the thing that should be the home screen right. of the Apple TV. But they won't do it. It shows you content from around all of the services yeah. you subscribe to. Except for Netflix and, and except for Amazon, yeah. which isn't on the Apple TV at all. I think this is just them. They are totally limited and boxed in by a fragmented TV market. And they're just trying to mortar in the cracks with a bunch of stuff so that when it all comes falling down and someone decides to give them the deals, they have a foundation like built in place. It's a right. bad metaphor, but go with me. I don't get it. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's super messy to use. Because you open this TV app and it's like, here's a bunch of stuff you can watch. Yep. You click on one of those shows, it takes you out of the TV app and into another app. And then if you push menu in that app, you get dropped into that app's interface. Right. If you push the TV button to go back to the TV app, you don't go back to where you were. You go back to the top of the TV app. How do you get to the home screen? You push the TV button again. What? Yeah. So if you're in the TV app and you push the TV button. And if button, you double push the TV button. It takes you to the home screen. No, no, no. If you double press the TV button, it takes you to the multitasking interface. You got to be kidding me. I'm totally What happens if you serious. triple you can, press You can quit apps. Does it go if 3D? Triple, I don't know, man. Um, it's, I will say, I get what they're doing. They're slow rolling this industry. Yeah. The TV industry is slow and panicky and worried and protective. And Apple's just slowly building this product. But the thing that makes it go, which is... Deals. Deals. Money. <laughs> Money. It makes it, yeah. Is, it, it's not there. So what they've done is they say, okay, here's a streaming plat product, like a box, make apps for it, and then they're slowly but surely abstracting away those apps. So first they built Siri Search, and everybody loves Siri Search. Netflix isn't Siri Search because Siri Search doesn't collect any data, right? Yeah. Now they're building this screen that's like, here's some stuff you might like. Yeah. Here's what you've been watching. Here's the next episode. All the other TV apps are like fine to be in there. Mm -hmm. Netflix doesn't give a shit because mm -hmm. everyone goes to Netflix. And Netflix already has all this viewer data in the world. They don't want to share it. Netflix isn't in there. Amazon doesn't want Apple's box to succeed. They want to sell you Fire TV sticks. So they don't even go on the box. They're not even on the box. And when you ask Apple, why isn't Amazon here? They, they basically subtweet Amazon and they say things like, well, it's an open app store. Yeah. Huh. So I'm going to make a metaphor here and it's deeply wrong and yeah. everyone's gonna say oh but no I, that, that's they announced no. very proudly their number of apps for the apple tv today eight thousand eight thousand it's a drop in the bucket yeah it's 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 and it's i don't know if you've used apple yeah, TV but apps. minecraft is coming that'll be a thing My, whatever i i just think everybody knows this about me i think the tv is it is the thing that the tech industry cannot solve yep and nothing about this product it is more solutions, but they're like little tiny turns of the screw solutions, and they're not, it doesn't matter. So I'm going to say a thing. I'm going to make this metaphor, and yeah. you're both going to get real mad at me and say, this metaphor doesn't line up. A does not match C, and D does not match E, and you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not accurate at all. But how does it feel to deal with a crappy industry and then accept a compromise solution at a high level? Mm -hmm. It's exactly right. Congratulations, Apple. You just moto rockered yourself. <laughs> the like this is the this is the software equivalent of that crappy iTunes moto rocker phone. Only Apple made it itself on its own hardware. Like they just It's a bunch of hacks. They ha yeah, it's a bunch of hacks. It's a bunch of like bad hacks that I mean, I'll try it, I'll use it, but I have zero faith that it's gonna be any good. Basically what it is is you know those sites like can I stream it.com? Yep. It's that expressed through Siri in a new app. Mm -hmm. They have not gotten to the point where you open the thing, you, you take an Apple TV out of the box, you set it up, it says, "Are you? do you have a cable subscription? And you say yes, and it says, enter your Comcast credentials, and it downloads a bunch of apps that work with Comcast. They can't get there because Comcast, and basically every other cable company, doesn't want them to get there because Comcast would rather you buy an X1 box and do all, all that shit on yeah. X1. Well, and that's to say nothing of doing, like the thing that, like, uh, my wife and I, she she like has this random app mm -hmm. that she uses to just track the freaking TV shows that we're watching. Yeah. Like I I just I need a, a central guide that says like, oh, we 
we followed that you have watched these four shows on these across these six different apps, and we're just going to keep a list for you so that you can watch the next one and not you won't have to worry about what app it's in. Yeah, but you, you right? know who you actually need to get that sort of intelligence? The answer is Google. <laughs> because, guys, listen, I've been using the Google Pixel, and anybody who doesn't follow me on Twitter should really jump on Twitter and check it out because I just took a photo of a rainy Manhattan street in New York, and that is literally, hands down, I'm channeling a bit of Donald Trump here, the best, the best mobile photo I've ever taken. Okay, so... so Yeah, but dude, like... like <laughs> Google failed at Android TV. They basically will just tell you that straight out if you like talk to them about it. The Chromecast has worked, except that there, like the the Google Home app, which is what now the Chromecast app is, in terms of like that dream of applying like artificial machine learning intelligence to like actual like real things I want to do. They're nowhere near that yet. Well, maybe maybe like, that part I of think, Google. I don't think because that, that's the other no. thing. Google does some things amazingly well, and then Google does some things amazingly terribly. But what I will say, the, the reason I, I, I talked about that the is a Pixel is it's got me using more Google services. So I am now intimately familiar with every last detail of Google Photos just because the Pixel got me into it. And then I also got into Google uh, Play Music more. And I will tell you, Google Play Music, I just told it I liked dance and electronic music. Uh, I picked a few of my favorite artists. And it's oh digging God. up these people who are like right uh, next to my favorite someone, artists. No, no. And it's just someone doing such played, a good job. paid Vlad to... Troll Listen, me with Google Play we, Music. We, we always talk about Google Play Music on this thing, and I've always defended it. But on my way home from Apple, uh, Android Auto, the Spotify app on Android Auto is a garbage fire. So I said, okay, screw this. I'm going to go to Google Play Music. And I went to Google Play Music's indie playlist. They're like default indie playlist, which is the only one they'd show me. I was like, playlist for driving. I'm like, well, I'm driving. Yes. Indie. Sure. So I was playing it. The first song. Radiohead, you know, they're there. Yeah. Really good. I love that song. Love Radiohead. Neil hates it because he's wrong. It sounds like cats dying. <laughs> and then the, this is the next things that Google Play Music thought yeah. I wanted on their indie playlist in 2016. I'm ready. I'm just, I'm just going to say the one that has made me, I'm canceling my Google Play Music subscription. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> Just me. They just went straight to Hootie. Anyway, let me finish this TV thing. This podcast is way over. We got to end it. I think someone is going to get there on TV. No, no one is ever going to get there. It's always going to be terrible. Here, here's my crazy prediction. I think it's just going to be Netflix. I think Netflix is just going to, they're just going to own that whole market. People are going to, they're going to steal Game of Thrones. Mm. They're going to steal Westworld and they're going to watch Netflix. I mean, AT, we, we actually need to get into AT&T and Time Warner. Oh, can we do point. this next week? I'm too um, tired. My theory is... <laughs> I don't have the rage in me. Nobody wants anybody else to win. So anybody that gets too powerful yeah. loses the deals. Right. So Apple is too powerful to get the deals. It's not that they suck at negotiating. It's that they, they're afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And like, if Netflix, anybody that gets powerful enough to solve it will not get it because nobody wants it solved. Yeah. Yep, so and you you, you can the, definitely the, see fundamentally you can look at the Apple TV and what they did today and just see where they hit the brick wall and had to stop. Okay. Yep. Guys, it's all, you it's know all what? over the place. You know what? I will tell you this much. Uh this is my as a non habitual TV viewer perception. I I saw the tiny little glimmer of potential. If they actually made this into a really smart TV listings or TV guide, right? Where you're looking at your TV listings and you can like literally jump into shows and then jump out and it's just kind of intuitive and logical. Yeah, but you, and, that's and just not kind how it works because you jump into an app. And it's streamlined. You jump into an app. This is what I'm telling you. You don't jump into the show. It opens another app and then you're not Exactly, in a and and, and that's that's where it becomes disjointed. And what I'm saying is, it needs to be seamless. It needs to be jumping in and out, and it needs to be a unified experience. And Apple is one of those companies that I used to think. And this is this is the difference today. I used to think was capable of doing that. The really crazy thing for me this week, and somebody mentioned this on Twitter. I'm stealing their great idea. Is um, actually Verge comments, not even Twitter. Much better comments uh he said this must be the first time in like seven years where there isn't a single apple product that i want to buy and i think that person is right i don't want an apple watch i'm not sure i want one of these new macbook pros i definitely don't give a damn about an apple tv and like what what has apple really got left now yeah i mean they've got a bunch of great hardware and millions of satisfied customers and like i don't know the gdp of australia in the bank they'll be fine but you just see where they're hitting the wall and it's they'll have to get through it okay 
That's the show. I gotta yeah. wrap up. Uh, I want to thank Masterclass again, sponsoring today's episode of the Virtualist. Masterclass makes the world's greatest courses by bringing you the world's greatest instructors. Aaron Sorkin, teaching Masterclass in screenwriting, contains 35 lessons, six hours of video, over six hours of video, interactive assignments. You learn about the craft of screenwriting. You write your own screenplays. Aaron talks about the rules of storytelling, dialogue, character development, and what makes a script actually sell. You can go watch an exclusive clip of Aaron Sorkin discussing how he writes dialogue. Just go to masterclass.com slash The Verge. There's also a whole bunch of other stuff to listen to. You can listen to What's Tech with Chris Plant. You can listen to uh, Lauren Good's Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can listen to Peter Kafka's Recode Media. You can listen to Kara Swisher's Recode Decode. And you can listen to me and Walt Mossberg on Control-Alt-Delete. Uh, all that is available on iTunes. Go to iTunes.com slash Verge. Look at it all. Rate it all. Do that. You can talk to us. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. Dieter's at Backlon. Vlad, you're at Vlad Savov. Am I correct? Yes. That's it. And our glorious producer is Andrew Marino. Andrew Marino with a U. With a U. Yeah. Talk to Andrew. He's great. I want to just throw it out there again. We were in a very echoey room. We probably talked to over each other. Sorry about the sound quality. If there's sound quality problems. Uh, we'll be back next week. Verge is relaunching on Tuesday. New design. New strut in our step. I don't know. A whole bunch of new stuff. Yeah. It's going to be great. Check it out. Tuesday, November 1. Uh, a new Verge. Check it. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited about it. Uh, and Vlad, we're going to have to have you on the show some more, buddy. For sure. That's it. Rock and roll. Paul. Paul. Paul.